leads? Then hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both high and low, rich and poor together. Do you indeed speak righteousness? Do you judge uprightly, all ye sons and daughters of men? And do you judge as others judge? For as you judge, you shall be judged. And if you condemn, you are condemned. Pass on. But there is no return. Hey guys, welcome to Profession Confession. I am your host, Gabe Noah. Thank you for listening. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to say right at the top, we're always looking for new guests to come on the show. So if you think you or a friend would be a, a good uh, fit for the show, hit us up at info at professionconfession.com or any of our social media outlets. Also, I always forget to ask guests questions and I kick myself for it every time. So if there's something that you want the answer to that I didn't ask, please post them to us on Facebook or Twitter. If we get enough response, we'll undoubtedly call them back in because I want to know the answer to this stuff too. So I'm just looking for any excuse. So on with the show. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Really? I'm so hungry I could eat a blue whale. And that's why I'm going to Pizza Hut Pizzeria. Italian food without the attitude. Pizza Hut. They have all the recipes written down and know exactly how hot to cook it. Now with ten times more sauce. Pizza Hut. And our show is brought to you by Stand Up Records. Visit us at StandUpRecords.com or watch us on our Roku channel. It's the best stand-up comedy in the world, goddammit. You can get releases from Doug Stanhope, Louis Black, many, many others, Chad Daniels. Got an upcoming release with Dana Gould. For Christ's sakes, check that out. Stand-up records. podcast here before we do i just like to say as always that we're always looking for guests if you or someone you know would be good we're currently looking for female streetwalkers and high-end prostitutes and we always stay anonymous and protect your identity this week's episode uh he is a government counterterrorism agent we're going to refer to him as jay because he was also not allowed to use his real name and I hope you guys enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's time for Jay to confess. On this episode of Profession Confession, we have a government counterterrorism expert. Still a pussy compared to me. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. And then uh, we have Chell here and... Our guest is Jay. He's had a long, a storied career. He, he does have a chiseled sort of government face, bit of a belly. Which means I drink a couple too many beers. A couple too many, I can tell already. <laughs> um, this guy was was put on to me and, and really is um, like a fucking out of a movie, like TV badass kind. I mean, he's not. You no, can tell. You not could, even close. You could just I'm, hit him in the gut yeah, once I mean, and he'd fold closest. over like a lawn chair. Yeah. But <laughs> I trip over my own. Don't hit him in the head. It looks <laughs> tough. Um, so you just your background is so you are counter terrorism right now. That's right. Okay. And can we say where you're based? Out of here, out of Minneapolis. Okay, in Minneapolis. Yep. Please don't say we're in Minneapolis. Oh, I like to think people think this is a national show. <laughs> <We are. laughs> I 
I'm just joking. Or Some major metropolitan right. place other than Minneapolis. That's At cool. A city near That's a you. Cool place. And uh, let's see. And then you've done. Um, You've done undercover narcotics. Yep, I worked uh, narcotics task force for a couple of years. Which is this. which is ironic because I've done narcotics on a huge level. <laughs> I was curious when we get into so that. Yeah, no, that's what we were <laughs> saying. Cool. I said there we might have been before. a moment in time that we were just two ships passing in the night, <laughs> like that guy. Yeah, that guy. We're gonna meet again, right? Yeah, but I'm sure you tonight. were looking for people yes. buying twenty dollars worth of black yes, tar heroin. Absolutely. Yes. We <laughs> <laughs> go to the bottom. You always go to the bottom first. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's how you do any good police work. You start <laughs> with the smallest fish. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I was the Michael Jordan of drugs. Um, let's see. What else? So then, and then Bomb Squad. I did. I yeah, brief tour in uh, the military with the Bomb Squad and some other things. So mm-hmm. got to play with explosives and so you're a nervous blow guy. things up. <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> yeah. I shake. As Twitchy. you can see, I shake right. constantly. This because must be really hard they, for you to do this podcast. They literally told me, you shake constantly. Mm-hmm. You should play with explosives and minute electronics <laughs> that can kill you at any moment. You're the guy. Absolutely. So I'm the guy. So there is so much shit here that I'm fascinated because we've done nothing but criminals. So I'm so, there's so much stuff that I'm fascinated here. I don't even know where to start. Chell, where do you want to? How about this? Let's let's start where he's at now. Counterterrorism, because this is on my mind. Are would you say is there as many bad guys out there as you think, or worse? Um, I think there's probably more more out there than you'd see. No shit. Um, I think part of it is, and, and not to brag on me, because I'm brand new. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm still okay. figuring it out. It's it's a multi-year process to figure out this complicated system that is terrorism. But the, um, the folks that are on the other side, they're good at it or they're stupid at it, and the stupid ones are easy to find because they go on Facebook and say, hey, I'm a terrorist. Right. And then we oblige them and knock on their door. Right. The other ones do other things and make it much more complicated. Um, I think there's a lot more sympathetic people out there, and it's just it's debatable as to do those people decide to pull the trigger one day, or are they just Facebook right. warriors? And right, they're right. Not. I, so, so um, you know, of course, the obvious question is our big Somali community here, which I am a Somali sympathizer, and uh, but that said, I acknowledge there's a huge people from from a country that has a lot of hostile parties and all that stuff. It's just only natural that uh, we would be at risk. Would you say that Minneapolis will have a terrorist attack in 10 years? Like, is it inevitable that we'll have something, would you say? I would say, yeah. I really? mean, we saw, I, I was, we were just up in um, St. Cloud, which, of course, isn't that far from here. I can right. commute in an hour, an hour and a bit, um, with a kid running through the mall with a couple of steak knives. Oh, yeah. Um, Jesus Christ, yes. That was only... What a month, month or two ago? Yeah, I've done no research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, neither have I. That was my big hard hitting question. <laughs> Will there be a terrorist attack? Yeah, there was one right. two months ago. <laughs> well, you think about, I mean, most people, I think when you watch the news, that one didn't get a lot of press. Number one, St. Cloud for people who don't know it, it's kind of a smaller town. Right. Uh, it's kind of out in the sticks where I come from. It's it's not well known um, for anyone outside of Minnesota. You wouldn't think of it as kind of this hotbed for radicalism, but right. all of a sudden you get a kid who shows up one day with some steak knives and tries to take a lot of people out before right. he's killed. Um, 
that's a terror attack. It is, yeah. even though it's not a guy with with and the I outfit. Think because it uh, wasn't a bomb or right. it wasn't a whatever, it, it didn't get that big. Shooting coverage. people, he right. just grabbed a couple steak knives and, and went to town. And right. So we have to go back and figure out. Okay, is that is that just a one guy thing? Is that just a guy who watched too many YouTube videos? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like the rest of us, but a different channel. Right. And uh, decided to go crazy one day, or is there something more more there there? And and that's the hard part. You got to piece that together over a lot of time and a lot of yeah. smarter people than me. Honestly, I'm just a I write just a bug strongly guy diffuses bombs. No, no, no. Yeah. I, these days, I just write strongly worded emails and attempt to move bureaucracy along. So there's a big refugee thing politically, right? Yep. Where they're trying to stop, like Trump is trying to stop the refugees. How does someone, you know, your job is watching the Somali community. I would imagine that would affect you directly if a whole bunch of refugees came here. What are your thoughts on that? Um, interesting question. I, um, I know. For the, that's why we're back it's, here. That's what I do. Yeah. That's why I have the microphone. Um, you know, I don't see a lot of it on my end. Obviously, the conversation comes up uh, at the office, you know, water cooler talk, but um, the community that I generally deal with is already here and has been here for a while. Um, our neighborhood doesn't necessarily include a lot of folks from uh, Syria and that that region. So right. hypothetically, if they let them all in, they don't necessarily come here. They uh, they probably gravitate to where there's other Syrian populations. If you're talking about those folks, we don't have a lot of that here, but we so, could. Um, so just, how about just hypothetically, uh, 5,000 Syrians are coming to a Come into Minneapolis here. Is that pants shit in time? Uh, I'd say I'd start worrying, yeah. Really? Bit. I mean, I'm not, you won't find me anti-immigration necessarily. Um, I, I just look at from a workload, from a kind of worker bee low-level low thing. Um, I think we're going to have a lot more work to do because, again, 5,000 people is a lot. Yeah. Um, say they all come here. I'm not worried about 5,000 people. The, most of the research says we're looking at, you know, Pew Research stuff, that when they interview these folks overseas and they ask them about attitudes and radicalization, it tends to be 3 or 4%, maybe a bit more, depending on whether they're willing to act right. or they just support. But even a small percentage of 5,000 is a problem. Right, uh, right. If we're talking hundreds of thousands, bigger problem. But um, I think we're always going to have some work to do. Are there people that you would say, okay, so after a show once, uh, me and a friend talked to a lady who is, I believe, an profiler and but she was in sex crimes and we asked her are there any people around that like that you know are just monsters but you don't have the shit to get them yet or whatever and she said oh absolutely and she said there was a guy on a sports team in town here and she like for real and she laid it out to where it was like we did all the like math work to see who it was because obviously white you know sex crimes anyway (laughs) (laughs) even even uh whatever mulatto tevin (laughs) (laughs) half black half white or mulatto i've heard that's wrong anyway mixed mixed people even mixed people don't do it it's all white crime Anyway, <laughs> are there people, would you say, that like, that you know, oh, this guy is clearly angling to attack us. We just don't have the shit. Um, I'd say there's if, – if we had that much information, we're probably very lucky and very rare. A lot of people that we probably are looking at or talking about are folks that are very sympathetic, but you can't figure out 
to what end. Yes. So it's a difference between a bunch of guys sitting in a garage making a plan and, and another bunch of guys sitting around talking about uh, religious motivations or, you know, something else where we're kind of laying the foundation, but maybe one of those guys five years from now does something on his own. Right. There are a ton of folks around, a ton. That's a technical term, obviously. Yeah, yeah. A ton. like eight fat guys. Yeah. <laughs> There's a ton of guys out yeah. there that have, have the belief that those things are good and that they're going to do them or they want somebody else to do them. Maybe they're not fully committed to doing it themselves because who wants to spend the rest of their life in jail or death? Right. So the hard part is, A, finding them because, again, the smart ones aren't necessarily doing the, the obvious things and d- literally trying to figure out what they're thinking. How are, What right. are they thinking? Are they communicating in a way where you can go, that guy's a bad guy, but maybe not going to do anything. But this guy over here, he's not talking to anybody, but he's a super bad dude, and he's definitely going to pick up a gun someday. Right. It, reading minds is impossible, so what do we do? We look at who are they talking to, right. what are they saying. Money moving, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. So you try, but it's it's a, it's a, it's not even close to a science. There are some really smart people. I'm constantly awed by the people around me, the people I work for. They truly are really smart at what they do, um, and I'm just barely hanging on. So yeah. I don't understand the science behind it, if there is one. What does it take for you guys to... So, you know, with with regular crime, um, whatever, you usually wait till the person does it, caught red-handed. Is there any point with terrorist stuff where you look at it and go, like, look, we know that you're... You know, where you'd go knock on their door before there's a problem? Yeah, absolutely. In, 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 in this realm... It's it's not really law enforcement as the way we understand it, like from narcotics or right. from the other stuff where your ultimate goal is to arrest a bunch of people, seize a bunch of stuff, you know, put numbers on the board and then walk away and go do the next thing. Because by the time it happens, like St. Cloud or like some of these other things that have happened lately, by the time they've happened, we're just putting together the pieces. We're just trying to make that final report like this, this one recently in uh, Ohio. Ohio, you know. I don't know the story on that. We're not the involved. The Ohio one. Today? <laughs> there was school a school shooting this morning? It wasn't a shooting. I keep driving a car. Ohio State? Was it, oh, it wasn't a shooting? Oh, it was a knife? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, it was a, a gentleman, Somali descent, drove a car into a bunch of guys standing on the sidewalk in front of a campus building, jumped out with a knife and started stabbing people. And a cop shot him and killed him. But, right. Um, those guys, are, again, that's kind of like the right. same. It's a real close parallel. There's a lot of motivation in the bad guy stuff. The guys that make the cool videos where they behead people, the really cool music. Sure. Wave flags. Yeah, yeah. They love that stuff because they've been talking about that since Paris or since, um, you know, in France when the guy drove the truck down the uh, boardwalk and killed a whole lot of people with just a truck. Right. They said, yeah, yeah. You guys living in the U.S. and Europe, it's not easy for you guys to get guns and explosives, but trucks work, knives work. So it's okay. a shame now all of a sudden we see people running through malls or through college campuses with knives because it's easy and it's it's low tech. It's, it doesn't take a lot to get there. Right. So, so I mean, is that the next generation of terrorist attacks now, all those kind of guys, or do you still see a big threat of a dirty bomb? Like that was one of the old phrases you heard or, right. you know, that kind of stuff or a coordinated you know, big attacks. I think there's still, this is just me speculating. I think there's still a group of people out there that like the big, the big dramatic things. Al Qaeda being one of them. They've done a lot of those ISIS in Europe. They've had some real good luck with folks, um, who've become radical, traveled, actually been to war, got to learn all these skills and then come back and kind of apply themselves. They're basically going back to their own neighborhoods. They don't stick out. They come back. Um, they, 
they work, they have families to do, and then all of a sudden there's a plan in place. So, so you see the things like Paris, like the, at the Bataclan, or um, some of the other things that happened at the airport. Um, we'll still see those, I think, because the planning hasn't stopped. The big dramatic right. things are really good for them. They they get that's what they're covering. These little things, the St. Cloud thing, Columbus. Yeah, that'll be in the news for a couple of days. I mean, they'll take credit for it. The next mm-hmm. publication that'll come out will probably have a reference to it. They definitely like to claim credit, even if they can't necessarily claim. Okay. Sponsorship, right. but it works for them. It, it's part of their narrative. The the um, big plans are always good because you know the more people you can get on the news, the more dead people. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it works for them. It's a recruiting tool. It shows how powerful and unstoppable they are. But the low tech guys are hard to stop because of the right. things we talk about. These guys, they can get radicalized in the basement. They can watch these videos. Uh, this last crew that got uh, convicted um, here a couple of months ago, you know, they're probably sitting around four or five hours a day watching beheading videos and people burning alive and stuff like that. Oh, really? So, yeah. so, so like, so you guys dig into their stuff to look at what they were looking at and then that unfolds in front yeah, of you that, and it's like, holy shit. Yeah. All that stuff's, you know, more or less public record because the trial's over and the sentencing just happened. You know, a couple of these guys got 30, 35 years mm-hmm. for planning basically not to do work here, but to do work abroad to go. They wanted to go to Syria and be freedom fighters and all the other things. And they thought, you know, beheading people's kind of fun. It looks fun on video. Those guys got really cool uniforms and they sing fun and right, let's right. go. Let's have a good time. <laughs> right. you know, their singing skills are yeah. bar they none. Sing? <laughs> they sing, they, yeah. they cut heads off. They're, they're multi-talented. I've often said they're... I actually watched one of those videos once because I have just that kind of dude yeah. <laughs> who watches... No, I didn't mean it that way. But I'm a very dark... Whatever. I want to see what it looked like and I fucking shut the thing off halfway through i was like this is so horrendous you can't even believe how brutal that is yeah how many beheading videos have you watched do you think in your lifetime oh shit um i have i have watched a majority of the relevant ones recent the isis (laughs) ones um because a lot of them were in the trial um a lot of them were at sentencing and stuff i was at a couple of sentencings and a couple of hearings Uh, a lot of them i just watch as part of the day when you know when new ones come out whack off to yeah exactly you know what uh, and they're awful, and you never. What is the word? Yeah, is uh, there one that sticks out to you as particularly brutal that our listeners uh, could fucking Google? I don't know. That's not they're, right. They're, but the, the one that still I'm sticks curious. with me, uh, the the Jordanian pilot that was burned in the in the cage. Um, they played the entire one at the, at the trial a couple Jordanian. of times. Oh, okay, um, who was shot down over Syria, and they threw him in a cage and set him on fire with gasoline. Um, that was I saw a person melt. It's been a long time oh since I've seen God. anything that brutal. Um, I've seen some. Uh, they do a lot of basically video instructionals on how to how to cut people, how to use knives to kill people. They you have know. instructionals. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, what are like where you know cut posted? cut a person here, cut a person there, cut them here, put a knife there, that kind of thing. No shit. Yeah. This actual like how to videos, because what they're trying to do number one is motivate these people who aren't going to Syria. Like a lot of them aren't now. Right. Um, but if you're in Europe or London or Paris or somewhere else, here's a quick how to on how to run people over with a truck and then stab them to death. Um, that's some brutal stuff. I right. can't. Wa- I, I used to be able a couple of years. I could watch them. I can't watch them anymore. Yeah, I it just, bet. It's too. Um, it's too emotional. I just can't do it. Anything involving kids and there's kids oh, stuff fuck. too. So right. Um, what is awful. the? Uh, you said that a lot of the trend was not necessarily attacks here, but to go back 
you know, to the whatever, to Syria or Europe, whatever. Mm -hmm. And now since then, there's been attacks in France, in the UK and all this stuff. Do you feel like that? I guess, why has that trend happened? I thought we were always the first target. <laughs> well, believe it or not, we're, we're, we're doing good just because we've got a big ocean, big-ass ocean between us and them, and it's hard to get here. Yeah. Uh, the folks, uh, Syria and Europe are, North Africa and Europe in general, it's, it's a ferry ride over. Um, a lot of the folks that went to Syria are from Europe. They had an easier travel of it. You know, the right. EU largely has no yeah. border, so you can come and go Dual as you want to. Dual passports and shit like that, too. And yeah. They're... The national security infrastructure for some of those countries, I mean, compared to what we spend and the amount of people we have doing, hypothetically, what I do, they have a, a small fraction of that. So they have more people fighting, more people traveling, less people working to stop it. And then when they come home, they don't they can't keep an eye on them or they don't know who's the problem. And then once they get the shit kicked out of them in Syria, as they're yeah. slowly over time, you know, right, is going to happen. Out of them, yeah. They have to go somewhere. So right. either they die there or they go home. And now. That trend's happening. Plus, it was there already. They said, look, it's hard to get here now. It was, wasn't that hard before because nobody knew what they were looking for, but now it's harder. Yeah. If you want to be an American going to Syria, there were some real obvious routes and flights and, and methods to get over there and get across the border. And and that's all old news now. So they're saying, please stay home. We can get right. more news out of it anyway if one guy runs a bunch of people over. What is, what is an example of a... I don't even know. I doubt you can say this, but is there a... Um, a group, a church, or whatever here that is known as a radicalized group in Minneapolis that we should be worried about or in the U.S.? I think there are. Um, yeah. I can't talk about any of them. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to be super secret squirrel on it because they're probably still, um, it's still a concern, so there might be still some activity there. You have to look at where people get together. Um, in the context of mine, where you look at kind of religion as a motivating factor, you have to look at, okay, yeah. where's the motivators there? Are there other folks that not, aren't necessarily traveling but are uh, mentoring? Mm -hmm. And I think we have that here. I think they have that in other places. So I think that's never changed. And, and maybe some of those guys are smarter that know, look, I can talk about religion and martyrdom and jihad and, and some of these other concepts and say, if you appreciate any of this stuff I'm talking about, there are things right. you can do. Yeah, yeah. I can't do it. Talk but to me after yeah. the service. Yeah, we'll shut. The, you know, we'll right. close the study session, go on to something else. So yeah, we'll dye our beards red and fucking hoop it up. Yeah. So I think I think that's that's I sound racist when I say that, <laughs> but I just it, it is funny that they have red. Whatever, it's not funny, but it is funny. <laughs> it is funny because it's weird to have a red beard if you're a black guy. <laughs> So what is it? What's your take about the the San Bernardino attack? I mean, yeah. was that? Do you think, in, in your opinion, was that reported as? Do you think that was terrorism? Yes. Do you think that was reported in the media as terrorism, or do you think it was played down? You know, um, again, a lot of the stuff I can talk to you about on the terrorism stuff is just from you know open source, uh, just case file, not necessarily case report, official reporting, but just I'm kind of I'm part of the reason I end up doing what I'm doing is I'm kind of guy who just reads forever. I pick up stuff and I read, and so I did a lot. I did a lot of reading after that one, and went to a few conferences where they, like you know, the chief or somebody involved in that will talk about it, and, and mostly in front of a law enforcement audience. But I think as a consumer of the news, regardless of my job, I'm kind of a news consumer. I'm that guy. And uh, I thought they did a decent job. A lot of what the news gets wrong happens in the first couple of hours. Uh, you know, right. kind of like this thing today. Um, you have to watch them catch up. 
And I think when they caught up and they did so pretty well, I mean, I'm not a professional media consultant. I think they did okay because the last thing we can do is start telling things that are obviously terrorist or appear to be terrorist focused. Oh, it's just a workplace violence thing or it's just a random crime thing. What we do is we kind of take... We make the error and say something isn't a problem if it's a problem. It's We don't all have to hide in our basements because of terrorism. We just have to acknowledge there's a problem and go forward. And so if the news can get that story out there a little bit more accurately, quicker, um, I think we're all benefit. And I think they did, they did an okay job of it. Um, I don't blame them, though. I've seen how fast these things that we talked earlier yeah. about law enforcement and some of the troubles in law enforcement across the country and, and locally. Um, it's hard to keep up. It's hard to get the right information out there fast enough so people actually have an accurate idea what happened. I think they did a good job, though. I watched that kind of develop over a day or two and then heard a lot of the after-action stuff. I think they did They did the best they can. They had some good, good lucky breaks, and they did some good work. How often after, like, so this is just the normal fantasy-type question, but how... Like, how often in Minneapolis area or I guess wherever, but your expertise is here, how often would you say attacks are thwarted that we don't know about? Or or if they ever thwart an attack, do they always let us know because that's a good gold star for law enforcement? Boy, that's that's harder to do. Um, some of the stuff— so you guys are just sitting around with your fucking thumbs up your yeah. ass? What are you <laughs> Did you get I, guess, I, I do some strongly worded emails most of the time. That's right. So, um, yeah, you know, some of those things will come across uh, if we're lucky. A lot of the folks that are doing the really serious planning aren't necessarily doing it out in the open. Uh, again, especially we're in a context of we've already put a bunch of folks in jail, real significant local politics and, and, uh, and arrests and, and ultimately conviction. So they're not necessarily coming forward. Um, we hope that they continue to do so, but... Uh, a lot of it, we're just going to have to get lucky. Somebody says something online or somebody says something to maybe a community member is actually willing to come forward and say, hey, you know, not for nothing, this guy's talking some crazy stuff. You should look at him. That um, is really, really comforting. Yeah. It, it's hard. We just got to get lucky. Because it's, 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 a, it's a game of attrition for us. We, we, can't, we can't let down all these strongly worded emails I joke about. Yeah. I have to be there every day. The whole team has to be there every day because if one thing comes across tomorrow, you know, just a minor, it's like picking a sticker off of something. You can't get it all at once. you got to work on the corner a little bit, and if you get lucky, you can pull it off. We could, I could do this job for three or four years and never have a case go to trial. It's, it's not the goal necessarily. The goal is to make sure we don't miss anything. Yeah. So how do you do that? If we're able, and by me, I mean the smarter people around me, not me with the okay. strongly worded emails, but the other people. Right. Um, if they're able to find a way to make people very uncomfortable, like like you said, if there's not enough to charge somebody. Right. You know, if there's, we're talking about off. very significant federal charges, terror related, and a significant amount of years go into these investigations. If we can't do that, then what's our other option? We go home and wait until they do something wrong, or do we try and figure out a way to thwart it, for lack of a better right. word. It, it, if we can't thwart it, you know, that means we've let the plot go too far and right. put people at risk. But I can't arrest people for, I think, the, the term we heard a lot um, and kind of the counter-narrative for this recent Somali case was thought police. We don't thought police. It's, yeah. You can think whatever you want. It's when you turn thoughts into action. If we can get to the point where we identify somebody who looks like they're going down that road, but we just don't have it, it's just not coming together. They're not, they're not saying anything. They're not making plans. They're not going into a conspiracy 
what can we do? And, right. and I think you can just make people's lives difficult. I think you can say, look, you could very well knock on their door and say, by the way, right. the I would like you or some agency would like you to show up one day and talk in front of a grand jury and talk about stuff you don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're not, um, maybe the United States isn't a comfortable place for you right now. Maybe there's other places you'd rather be (laughs) where this. I'd like to say that's this girl I dated in college. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Maybe Maybe there's just a better place for you. So I think you can, you can, I think you can, when somebody is aware, a lot of what we do, nobody necessarily would know unless it was in the news or unless it ends up in the federal courthouse with the protesters and with right. the, the national news. A lot of it is finding, the locating, the hard part, the finding where the trouble is coming from and either diverting that, um, making their lives a little more difficult to go ahead, or they get to the, to the fact that they go, man, people are looking at me. I cannot do this anymore. I will just shut down. And so that is common, like common practice somewhat to kind of go like, we see what you're posting. We see who you're talking to. We don't have anything, but let's go knock on your door and let you know. Well, that it's we know definitely an there. option. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I couldn't tell you you know, number wise, how many door knocks there are. But I think if you, if, if, if we're out of options, the other option is to just, um, make, make your planning a little more difficult by saying, look, you're noticed your, your activities. We we arrest your friends or we're interviewing your mom and dad, or we're doing stuff like this. That word travels fairly quickly. Why are they talking to mom and dad? Well, they're not talking to you about your expired driver's license. It's something else. Um, and you hope that that makes a difference. It doesn't always, and you, maybe you'll never know five or 10 years down the road. All those motherfuckers who keep going, they're cold. (laughs) Like, like, you know, imagine that, like, or whatever, a CIA knocks on your door and you just keep going. <laughs> All right. There could be. How about how about as far as tips and stuff like that? So when you guys get one, you know, I don't imagine it's a uh, 58-year-old white guy from Anoka calling up and going, hey, I think these Somalis are up to some good. <laughs> you got to get over And then you go there and sure shit, they're doing something. Yeah. Do they inform on their own community often? Um, my experience is very little. It, it's a tough community. They're very they're very close knit, and even though there's uh, there's undercurrents there, they're not necessarily. Again, in my experience, uh, they're not super thrilled to share that with government, mm-hmm. especially since this last trial. The the, the kids that went down for ISIS, the nine ten kids that went to prison, or um, they were real offended by that for multiple reasons. Number one is. The, the common thought was a lot of these folks were entrapped. There was a lot of, you know, yeah. free our boys and fundraising and stuff. And the use of informants uh, really didn't help that. They, I mean, it helped us, obviously, okay. because, again, how would we know unless somebody is inside the community? It's not a very, it's, you know, if I showed up in, in, in uh, Cedar Riverside, I'm right. a cop. They know I'm a cop. I, yeah, yeah. I can't make inroads there, so we have to have people in there. But it's just like dope work or like anything else. Right. If I don't have people inside, I, I can't. I can't do anything. It's really hard to see it from the outside. Um, so, long long answer, really short. It's it's hard to do unless you have the community participating. Communities really holding tight right now. How about this? So, so this is uh, this could be just one of the dumbest questions you've ever heard in your life. Oh man, I've heard that. I don't have. Go ahead. If there was no, if if there was no counterterrorism effort in the Twin Cities area, how many attacks do you think there would be? Like, would there be a monthly attack? I, you know, like, speculating. Who yep, knows? I, know. I imagine. My guess is um, over I know you're over not a long God enough figure. to. Yeah, you know, I try and get in. I try to know everything, but um, no, I think. 
you probably see you probably see a couple. I think right now the trend for our local area tends to be focused on traveling overseas. The downside is, is the better we get at recruiting stopping. people out of here to leave. Correct. Okay. Or recruiting themselves. I mean, that's what okay. we saw with this last group. You get some really good friends together that you trust, and you watch a lot of cool videos, and you yeah. talk to some buddies who maybe made it over already. Um, that's the draw. Now, as they start having problems overseas, the pushback is, man, it's hard to travel now because people are looking for me. And yeah. They, they were learning the scams. Like, right. nobody goes to Bulgaria to go to the, a beach vacation for right. one day and then fly <laughs> back to Minnesota. Um, the harder we make it on, so it's a double-edged sword, the harder we make it for people to leave, the more well, likely yeah, either they, they quit find a new way. or find a new way. So right. we win one, we lose one. I don't know. So I think you'd you see that more question, here. What'd you say? What? Maybe more. Like, yeah. I mean, like five a year? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. insisting on on an answer. If you're just talking local stuff, I mean, if we allowed people just to to work out these these groups and allow them unencumbered, probably every few years something bigger because they're not being stopped, they're not being nudged, they're not being pushed in a in a way that they go, boy, I should really not do this. Right. Every couple of years, you could have something big, but it wouldn't necessarily be here. It could be anywhere. Right. Right. So so then another way to put this because I I just try to put my hand like Adam. Whatever, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but it makes me wonder, like, so are there, would you say there are a hundred dudes in Minneapolis who are constantly plotting? Are there a thousand? Are there 10,000? No, I'm, I'm, my guess is you're looking at um, fewer than a couple of hundred. Okay. Um, you know, the question is, how do you, how do you delineate between... A group of supporters right. that believe it, that say, and and because we're in the United States, you can say that. You yeah, say, yeah. I believe in violent jihad overseas. Joe believes it himself. Yeah, <laughs> and he can say that. And I go, congratulations! I I got a great video for you to watch. You might enjoy. I oh, love it. <laughs> um, but you can't you can't stop thought, and you can't, in a lot of ways, you can't stop speech. So how do you figure out who are the truly bad guys? If we yeah, so maybe you have you're out of a, a community of several. Thousand, you have uh, fewer than a handful that are seriously hardcore. I mean, just throwing numbers at the wall, and maybe even fewer said, "I'm going to turn that into some action." Right. And you could be looking at a fraction of a percent of an entire population, but you only need the one. Of course, you need the one here, and you need the one in St. Cloud, and you need a few over in Paris, and right. You're looking at less than a dozen people in in what a year. Right. Right. What do you think? So, how about? you know, like we've been talking about Somali community mostly here or Muslim, you know, like the typical terrorist profile that everyone has now. Um, how much attention is paid to uh, the white separatists and all that kind of stuff here? Is that is that an issue that even comes across the desk these days? It does. They have um, there are groups that look at specifically they're kind of broken down on kind of threat groups or focus areas. And there are people that work on um Domestic, basically domestic terrorism stuff yeah. as well. It's not for God. It's still there. Um, right. I don't work on that side of the world, but I, I do see. get to see some of their stuff every now and then. They're definitely busy. There's definitely, there's there's <laughs> always, well, right. there's always, I mean, no yeah. matter politics aside, there's always a, a group of people that are anti-government that, that that trend in that direction. And, and so there's definitely still people looking at that and keeping current. We haven't forgotten. Right. As I, I'm not the federal government, but the federal government hasn't forgotten forgotten about the domestic stuff. It's just right. some things end up in the news now that become kind of the big thing. Uh, the other stuff's still happening. I mean, there's plenty of other groups out there besides ISIS and Al-Shabaab, and um, I hope 
right. somebody somewhere smart enough to cover them all. What are things that, so, and then we're going to get off terrorism pretty soon because it's fucking boring the shit out of me. So I always think whenever there's um, football games, you know, whatever big gatherings is, is of course the time that like you go like, oh, is this when it's going to happen? So you as a guy who works in this, who pays attention, you, uh, do you have kids? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you take your kids to big gatherings? I do. You do? I do. Okay. And just, it's because you have s- fucking faith or you don't like your kids? When? I throw it in the air and see how that happens. My <laughs> right. kid's constantly paranoid. Why does daddy always have a gun? He doesn't, he's always look, looking around. No, I think that's Turkey. great to hear. No, no I, I do. I, you know, it's, it's you hard. You still have to live like sure. constantly. And I, okay. my wife, uh, is nice enough to remind me every now and then that you got to be a normal person, be a normal family member, normal father, yeah. have a little girl. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've spent my entire career or if you call it careers, multitudes of careers yes. worrying about things that could kill me or everybody around me or something awful could happen. Death and destruction may Right. Um, so all I think about most of the time is death and destruction. Yeah. Um, it's what I do for How a do living. How do you punch out from that? I mean, that, that's... Well, so are there scenarios and this... I just go to fucking TV. This is my whole <laughs> touchstone for the world. <laughs> but I just go like, you know, are there moments in your life where you go like, we are hunting this dude. We think something bad's going to happen. But now I my shift is over and I have to go home now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do you walk away from it? Um, the further away from being in a patrol car and in a uniform, the harder it is to turn off. When I did patrol work, it was pretty easy at the end of the day. You turned off the phone, you walked okay. away home, you told your wife you were about some... like a squad car cop. Yeah, right. yeah. You mean you did the same thing. I went to death Fondling scenes. I went to... Yeah. Right. Final <laughs> no. tons of prostitutes. Um, I mean, why not? Uh, you know... The, the dope stuff, the just the day, and not even right. just because it's all minor traffic, shit. Uh, parking right. tickets, neighbors yelling at each other, people throwing shit at each other. It's just it's life, and yeah. of course your job is to be there on everyone's worst day and not take it home with you, which is yeah. hard enough as it is. But at least that day you can turn off the phone and go home. And then they threw me in narcotics, and they said, "Here's a second phone, so you already have the other one. Here's another phone, and by the way, this phone rings all the time because people constantly apparently want to tell you they're getting arrested and they want." you to help them out because they help you out with stuff and so your phone's always ringing or somebody's always finding a pound of dope in some hotel room and they say time to get up and write a warrant or sit around staring at an empty van for 12 hours waiting yeah yeah i mean it's not glamorous but that phone never shut off and then i got this other job and all of a sudden they gave me a third phone and said now don't turn any phones off because god knows what's going to happen if you turn a phone off right and then you wonder why you don't sleep for days Really? No, I'm kidding. I said okay. it's fine. <laughs> I was going to say, you seem very alert. I, I would like to it's getting a little late for me. <laughs> your speed dealer. Oh, no. Yeah. So what? you did you, per, you didn't pursue this, I mean, this trajectory of your career? It's, it sounds like they kind of said, go do this. Or I mean, how did you? The easiest way I can describe my life in the shortest possible way is I've done everything by accident and everything in the completely wrong way. If I wanted to work in terrorism, I should have done something 20 years ago to brought me here. 10 years ago. But instead I said, Ooh, I want to do that. And then I went and did it. And then I said, Ooh, I want a shiny object. I'm a shiny object guy. Like, Oh, that looks really fun. I want to 
blow shit up. So I go over here and, I, and then I blow shit up and I go, cool, but I want to do something else. And I went over here and it wasn't that fun. And then I said, hey, I always want, I saw cops. I thought, I grew up on cops. That was a yeah. cops generation. I said, I want to be a cop and go chase people down and get on a SWAT team, wear a cool outfit and carry guns yeah. and stuff like that. And then I did. And then you're like, that's fun, but what am I going to do now? And then they said, well, you want to do some drug stuff and you can grow goatee and I'd be like, I want to do drugs. Dirty, dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Two ships passing in the night. Right. Yeah. So, so how about that? How'd you find it? Because I do want to talk about that yeah. almost the most. But before then, how'd you find out? How does one find out they like to defuse bombs? Um, it's completely random. Um, right. Basically, you say, um, I want to find the smartest people I can find, not me, but everybody else. And I want to make sure they don't care about living. And I want to give them years of ridiculous training. And if they make it to the other side, I'll let them play with explosives. Yeah, but how'd you even start? You're you are you're you're giving yourself shit here because you're a good guy. <laughs> but really, how do you start? <laughs> how does that even start the first well, day that I, you go on? I walked day? in. See, I, I I told you I did everything the wrong way. Right. Most people join the military; they either come from college right. and they go and become officers, or they're young and they say, "I want I want to do something with my life. I want to join the military, get some direction, get some guidance, learn a skill, and get out and get a job." Well, I was right. twenty six. Or I'm going to go to jail for robbery. Right. And, and I got to get a judge said, said, yeah, right. said, get out of here. Right. Don't come back in four years. Um, I had a degree. I uh, had a tremendous amount of debt. I was working armed security in North Minneapolis, you know, getting guns pointed at me all the time. People trying to run me over for $8 and eight and a quarter an hour. Right. <laughs> and student loans, car payment, shitty little apartment. And I, no one would give me a job. I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to work, you know, cool fed job. I wanted to be out there in U.S. Marshals, Tommy mm-hmm. Lee Jones, chasing bad guys jumping off waterfalls. Well, he, he didn't do it, by the way. Yeah, he never did, but it was it was a fun it was a fun ride while it lasted. Right. <laughs> Harrison Ford was a he was innocent. a nice anyway, old guy who yeah. was totally framed, and I still believe that. Yeah. Um, but when I was twenty six and sitting around going, God, I got to get a job, and no one's going to hire me. Uh, I got to do something. So I actually, military was kind of I ended up there. Um, I ended up at a recruiter. <laughs> in in the, the suburb of the cities and, and he said well you know hey how you doing blah, blah, blah. What, what's your what do you want what do you want from me you're, you're a lot older than most of the kids that come through I'm 26 I've been right. working forever um, and I said I need a job I need a job I need four years or somebody to let me do something cool or something cool like that I can put on a resume and then come out and be a cop I said I'm not having any luck right now somebody give me a break and he said oh we don't even talk to you you're a college graduate that's down that's a hundred miles away at the other office. I said, no, I want to actually do dirty hand stuff. Right. I want to get out and get dirty. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. Give me some brochures. I don't right. know. What the hell do you do? I you fly planes and blow, blow I shit up. I so. see the bomb diffusing brochure. <laughs> yeah. So they show you a brochure of the guy wearing a bomb suit, driving a robot and holding a stick of C4. And they said, hey, well, you can do that. If you, you know, go Is that cast. true? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> yeah. We should see that brochure. Yeah. Yeah. We get that from yeah. the website because that's hilarious. There is. I don't even know how you persuade someone know. to fucking whatever. Well, you, clip you, what you do is you tell a 20 
26-year-old, look, you can play with explosives, which is mildly, at the most, at the biggest stretch of imagination, mildly law enforcement related, because there is some equivalent to that in law enforcement. I don't do it, but, um, and then you say, we'll give you $3,000 to sign up for it if you go, and if you pass all your medical tests, and you, you're smart enough to do a written test, we'll give you three grand if you make it, make it through Jesus, you are dumb. Yeah. $3,000. I think I got $3,500, but I had to pass the basic course before they'd even write a check. And at that point, I think my base pay was probably eight or $900 a month. So I wasn't even making bills to go to the military. So, so there is something in you <laughs> that you do like seek this stuff out. I mean, there's something. No, that, I'm severely broken. Must, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I am absolutely so broken in my head. Have you ever in your life done the, the movie bomb defusal, like clip wire on a live bomb? Uh, I have done a lot of training to do that, you know, simulated yeah. stuff, some pretty intense stuff. They've gotten very good at that. But most of what I did involved regular, what we call ordinance, just regular bomb shit that somebody, when I was, I had the pleasure of spending a few months in the desert um, in 0304. And anytime the wind blew funny, something came up. Yeah, yeah. Lord knows we've been bombing the hell out of it for about 15 years. And then every time the wind blows, there's there's a bomb that somebody just said, kicked it out of the back of a truck, said it's not worth my trouble to put right. back in a box and ship home. So you'd go out there with a block of C4 and blow it up. And then you go high five the guy okay. next to you and then you go back and drink nothing because they wouldn't let you drink anything anyway so and then you do wear that big old like suit and everything and walk out to I never you, I did a lot of training in the bomb suit I'll be honest yeah I pretty much <laughs> I actually had a training day where um we were we were in Florida actually, but it's 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 an exercise. It's got some code name, but basically it's an exercise that says we're going to pretend that a, a runway just got bombed because we're you know Air Force, so it's all about runways and airplanes sure. and stuff like that. This just got bombed. You're like by who? They go, it doesn't matter. Just there's bombs everywhere. They don't like people. They're angry. They see you. Um, they don't like metal. They don't. You know, so you're like well. Oh, I don't care. So I took off all my clothes. I was wearing a little pair of silkies. Anybody in the military knows what they are. They're like half underwear, half running shorts that are sure. not sexy on anybody who wears them. And I got out of my armored Humvee and walked out and put my little simulated explosives next to these angry bombs and walked back. And the, the guy who was uh, evaluating me said, you didn't have to really do that. And I said, you told me this thing was angry. And if I were in a belt buckle, a watch, just looked at it funny, it was going to blow up and kill everybody I know in my whole family. He's like, yeah, we told you that. And he said, so what's the difference? I take off my pants and walk right. down the runway. I mean, it, right. yeah. it's so, a so strange what, world. So, so two bomb stuff then, because that is, so what you hear now is that with the internet that anyone can log on and learn how to make a bomb and all that stuff. So back to the terrorism kind of stuff. What, so is there an effort by the government to censor that stuff, would you say? Or is it just something you know that people can make certain bombs and you just... I think that, that cat's out of the bag. I think okay. the internet killed any concept of... If people ever have the image of the government as this all-encompassing filter that says, you know, this stuff is incredibly harmful, we can't let anyone look at it, they're all going to be terrorists and blowing shit up... They, they don't. They can't. It's just right. they, the cat's out of the bag. There's too much. You, any any white high schooler from the suburbs can go on YouTube and figure out how to blow something up. White people Whether wouldn't he, do that. But 
<laughs> but but would you say Prince the last that black bomber you see? <laughs> There's Tevin standing serial, up for race. Serial killers and serial child killers. Child pedophiles. Child, child porn pedophiles. Serial those killers. Those are white jobs only. White. <laughs> Got the uh, market. Touché, Tevin, I think we, we cornered the market. But that said, as someone who is inside the government, you do know that. Uh, Tower 2 was a controlled demolition. <laughs> That's why we're here today. Yeah. Oh, I knew I'd hammer the well, to the wall. I told you about what I could lose a security well, clearance right. for. That might, that might be on the list. <laughs> I think it was a controlled demolition. Let me tell you how it was done. Um, I, I think anybody could. I've seen them. And as somebody who's uh, had to build a lot of devices in the past just for training and for, for, other, for demonstration purposes, the simpler stuff's easy to do. The hard stuff like I said, I'm surrounded by smart people who can do things right. with electronics. That's not me. But if you want to do something basic, you could go out there. The question is, is all this, all the things that they really harp on you when you're doing the real job, the EOD job, the bomb squad job is perfection. It's the, and the, the motto for the group that I was in was initial success or total failure. That was the concept. So there was no second place if you just, right. And so of course they drilled it in you. All these kids are like, if you even look at that thing funny, it's going to kill you and it's going to kill your buddy. And all these things are like, oh my God, everything's going to kill me. But what they're trying to drive into you is you have to do everything perfectly because the bad guys, they right. they weed themselves out. They got the guys with no fingers or the guys that just aren't around anymore. Right. They made you. You can't do it. We put too much money in. It's hard to replace yeah, yeah. you for the amount of money we spent. Do they do, they do any sort of tech? Because... I can even see people going like, oh, I can fucking defuse a bomb. Sure. Like, pick me. I can do it. And, and even doing it good in test and doing it good in whatever. But then when the when it's when it's nut-cutting time, as my high school football coach used to say, never played high school football. Um, That's a good story, though. Would, <laughs> I mean, like, is there a way that they test you to know that you actually can stand up to do that? I mean, there's the simulations. But what kind of stuff do they do? Um, yeah, a lot of it is screening. It's it's you take you you narrow down. Like I said, they, they do all that stuff up front: the medical, the the written tests or computer tests. They put you in the system. They put it for. I don't know if it still exists because it was that long ago. They put you through kind of like a prep course almost. It's a, just a crash course, like fourteen hour days, constant stress, memorization, and getting out there and Suck actually your own working. Dick. Yeah, it's crazy flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know where else. I've had a couple of drinks. Lost. <laughs> Change direction so quickly. <laughs> Just seems like someone who would be like really good at stuff could do that. <laughs> I think you got to take rips out. I'm not sure that's okay. Questioning. (laughs) Um, But they do. They 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 invest so much time and energy on the testing and on the like you said the simulation stuff. They can really figure out pretty quickly if you're just your temperament isn't right. I shook my last test before getting out of this screening course all those years ago. Was here's a block. Here's a block of TNT. Here's a blasting cap. You're sitting in line with a bunch of other kids that made it that far. Um, Go put the cap in the. Uh, TNT and blow it up and there's an instructor standing over your shoulder about that far away and I think my hands were it wasn't like this but it was a little on. shake I'm not getting that so hold on why was that nerve wracking so because you have the caps that you're sticking in TNT yep which means it's explosive absolutely at that moment yep okay 
And then there were people? Or, oh, what? yeah. No, because it's the whole class. Whoever's made it that far to the end of the week, this was kind okay. of one of the last major hurdles that I remember. Okay. Is to see, because all where you're talking about, all everything up to that was theory. Right. Practice bombs, non-explosives, but wouldn't kill That's, you. Okay. Just to see if you could learn as quickly as possible. But now we're going to put the real, we've told you for days how to do this properly. Now it's on you, and you have an instructor that's literally breathing down your neck, some angry old right. chiefs. And you have live live explosives, live explosives that you're making more live. Nothing high risk, right. just a standard operation. They give you the things, and they and, and I thought they what they were testing was, could I remember the steps? Because there's all these safety things and protocols built in. You're just taking a thing and sticking it in a thing and blowing it up. It's not rocket science. It's right. chemistry, but it's not rocket science. What it is is to see your face and your hands and how you're dealing with the stress. For me and my instructor, or the guy breathing down my neck, said, you looked really nervous. And I said, yeah, I, I kind of was. He goes, your hands are shaking. That, that makes, I'm worried when I see your hands shake like this, and, he, and they're just hammering you. This Maybe this isn't the job for you. Do you want to just quit? And I said, no, I don't want to quit. I said, I was nervous because you're staring over my neck, right. and I don't want to fail. I was worried I about you, get, not the bomb. Yeah, I don't <laughs> right. crap about the explosives in my hand. I get it. I understand the science. I'm not going to throw it on the ground and step on it. I just want to put the thing in the thing and walk away. Um, I don't like being tested. I have yeah. test anxiety, but apparently I only pick jobs in which there's nothing but test anxiety every single day. So right. figure that out. Yeah. That's crazy. Bizarre. That is interesting. You said you're broken. I mean, as a stand-up comic, we're broken. Like, so it's, I'm curious how that you because you don't seem broken to me. You seem like <laughs> you're married with kids. Like you got together, and but you do seem to recognize something. There is something off in a person that seeks that out and wants yeah. to do that for a living. There is. There. It, it's. I think part of it for me was go out and do something, but don't waste your time. Like, I felt like I was playing catch-up. You know, I didn't start this train until 26, and by, by, by my standards, the way I grew up, I'm already eight, nine years past the curve. I should have been, you know, done with college, on to the career. I, I, wanted to be a, I wanted to be a biologist. That's why I got out of, I got out of high school. I knew my entire life I was going to be a biologist. I got to college. The only thing I ever wanted to do was go into gene genetics. Who in the hell goes into genetics? You want to spend your entire life in a lab coat? <laughs> I froze my ass off one night at the University of Minnesota campus uh, in St. Paul waiting for a bus to get me back to my frozen car. And I said, why am I doing this? This sucks. Yeah. And I went to liberal arts for criminology, and I saw where all the beautiful women were that I missed for the last four years. And I said, that's enough of that. I'm going to go do something fun. So so if, um, if there was a... Let's see. Minnesota Vikings NFC Championship. We're ahead by seven points. You learn there's a bomb in the building. Someone's got to go defuse it. Would you choose you to go defuse it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, 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 mean, I would. I, really? I mean, is that they wouldn't like, want me? They would. They would. They would kill me if I even thought to do that. Why is that? It's not my job. Oh, it's not okay. my. That's not my training. And my training and experience is different in the military than it is in the bomb squad sure. world. I'll go defuse a bomb. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of, like I said, there are a lot of people that do nothing but that. They're right. very good at it, and I've been out of that world for so long. But if I, you know, I found uh, on patrol, you know, when I was wearing a uniform, I got called to a, a hand grenade in somebody's yard. And nobody knew what to do about it because, of course, how often do you get that call? Right. 
right. hand grenade in my front yard. And and sure shit, we went there. I look under the bush, and there is an actual a hand legitimate, grenade, a hand? legitimate hand grenade. And everyone's like, well, what do we do? And I said, well, I'm going to go look at it because I know what I'm looking for and figured out it, it was empty, but it had all the right parts there from the outside. No shit. So I just picked it up and threw it in the car and drove away. How do you know a hand grenade is empty? Because, I mean, we all know the cap with the yeah, pin, yeah. right? Well, it, most of them have a, a, a plug at the bottom, and the, the plug was missing. That's where, I see. where you take something that was really super cool, Vietnam-era yeah. hand grenade, and you stick it on your desk and say, you know, yes. take, take, pull tab for, you know, take a number. Right, mine. right. That's all that is. It's just okay. a hand grenade that somebody took all or took all the good stuff out of the bottom and left the rest there for uh, for a cool desk toy. But somebody had obviously lost a souvenir in the yard, right. and they find stranger stuff. I don't do any of those calls anymore, but I work with people. Uh, there's a couple of bomb squads in the metro area that I know a few of their guys. They find a lot of that stuff. Old, some old guy kicks off, you know, some old vet somewhere in his garage is all sorts of cool stuff that he should have never brought home. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's no souvenir-taking. A lot of people either know what they have or forgot 20 or 30 years ago, but then they have to go, okay. Okay. Grandpa, you kind of got to burn yeah. down the barn now because this stuff's been here a long time. Right. Um, I don't do any of that, though. So. Okay. Um, what is it? So this is the last terrorism thing that I've got, at least. But what is your what is your nightmare scenario in Minneapolis? Like, what 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 is the thing that sort of keeps you up where you go, I don't want this to happen. This is the shitty thing. For me, it's it's become personal now. A lot of the, th- the, the, the stupid things I used to do for a living was me single, me without a family. And so everywhere I go now, I see my kid and my personal yeah. scenario. I can deal with any... I, I've told myself or convinced myself or lied to myself long enough to say I can handle anything because I've just... I've, people put so much money into whatever yeah. they call me that I feel like I'm good enough or I can survive in a tough situation. But all of a sudden you add, I'm with my kid or I'm with my family. And then I start thinking about, okay, I'm at the Mall of America now. Mm-hmm. Mall of America is definitely a, a number one target. That, I mean, that's that's, exactly it's on the news you, all the time. What are the top five targets oh, yeah, in I, Minneapolis, would I, you say? I, I don't know what they all are. I right. know um, a lot of videos were made that mention Mall of America. That's public information. Okay. I think mm-hmm. any you're looking at anything that's these days, it's symbolic, all about right. symbolic, um, and if not symbolic, lots of crowd, lots of people that are vulnerable. So you put sure. a lot of people in a small space, sporting events, um, it, even as simple as today. You put a bunch of people on a lawn, it could be a target. One of my comedy shows. Right. You could drive a car right you through the middle kill, of that. You'd kill 40 people. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how they promote it. If it was a Saturday. But if were they, they ever really it. alive? <laughs> were they ever alive in the first place? That's, that's debatable. Uh, <laughs> so I think about stuff like that because I go, well, what would I do? Because remember I said, the worst part about being me is, is I've learned to see the dark side of everything. There's nothing out there that I haven't said, well, wouldn't this suck if somebody drove a car in here? Wouldn't this suck if somebody right. I ran around and shot people? What would I do if I were by myself? I just figure it out. I just ad lib. Right. But you can't do that when you always have a five year old on your right. and you're like when you're trying to tell them the sky is blue and they're arguing it's orange. 
Right. Great. Now what? Are you most afraid of like of a bomb type scenario though, or of just big coordinated attack? Um, I you know the bomb stuff doesn't worry as much. I, not it, it should. There are definitely right. scenarios where because anything right. it's an all or it's it's for the bad guys it's all the above. It's whatever works. If we can find somebody to build some pipe bombs, which are not hard to make, or find somebody to do um, pressure cooker bombs like in mm-hmm. Boston and some other places, those are easy to do. Now, you can screw them up, but it's still relatively easy to do. Those are still a problem, but... I'm in general the low tech stuff is what works. The low tech stuff, the guys with the kitchen knives, the guys with the trucks, the guys with you know that are that are just out there looking for an easy opportunity yeah. that are hard to predict, that are harder to identify and disrupt. Those are the guys I'd worry about more. Not that right. those other things don't give me cause for concern. It's just just walking around my day-to-day life there's so many vulnerabilities. So how do you live? How do you, right. how do you talk to your family? How do you even go out? I mean, cause you could, you could just shut yourself into your house and say, my house is safe. Right. Well, yeah, that's the, how do you relax? I mean, do you, do your well, coworkers and I mean, is it for the most part, you guys are hard drinking, kind of hard drugging kind of people. Absolutely. It does. Yeah, hard drinking like that. <laughs> <laughs> Does that truly as relaxing? If you can't, if relaxes I don't me. know. You can't turn his brain off. Like you, you're constantly. My brain you never seem, stops. Right. Right. Never does. Are you taking like meds like antidepressants? No, no. It's like a comic. I, I mean, that's really this. Well, mean. to answer your question, it's not a healthy lifestyle. There is no good way to see the world like this right. over a long enough period of time. It affects everybody, whether it's just a patrol guy or I don't mean just. They, they have the harder job. I have the easy, strongly worded email job that I right. do. Um, they have they have a harder job that they got to try and slough that off at the end of the day when they take the uniform off and go home and not just dump it on your kids and on your family. Yeah, I always found it for me it was personal because when I realized I was not doing good father stuff, like I just wasn't being a nice dad. Um, I had a revelation once where I said to my wife, and she's went through this wild ride with me since uh, after the military. And I said, the things that make us good cops, the things that make us smart and savvy and looking out all the time and protecting ourselves make us awful partners and make us awful parents. Because how do you turn it off? How do you just say... You don't get to run in the middle of the street because I've seen kids hit by cars and I take that home with me. I see that. I see every kid now looks like my kid. Every kid that's hurt is my kid. So I internalize that. That's not a healthy way to live. It's just how it is. Um, how do you detach that? How do you become where it's not personal? I don't have a good answer for that. Right. I just I had the revelation a few years ago where I was getting angrier faster or getting more definitive because in the cop world, being definitive, being direct, um, problem solving, sometimes forcefully, not necessarily physically, but you will do this. This is ask, tell, do mentality. I'm going to ask you, and if you don't do it, I'll tell you, and if you don't do that, then I'll make you. Right. This is how cops survive. This isn't necessarily cops being dicks. This is just... It's is how we train. That's why cops can come off this way. Yeah. People don't understand the mindset. It's a survival mentality. It's like, I have to go home at the end of the night. I have to talk about none of this when I get home, but I have to be able to survive. So when you get home and you start ask, tell, do with a three-year-old or with a two-year-old, you're going to lose. Yeah. And then what do you do? Because then you just, you know, you could just be angry or you could drink a lot or you could just be an awful, awful human being. Yeah. Um, for me, I just had to admit it was just not, it's 
just not a healthy way to be. And so I, every now and then I have to catch myself and go, it's just a five-year-old. She doesn't know any different. Right. She she's doesn't not need a terrorist. Not a terrorist. <laughs> it's still young. She's still young. She's not in the age range yet. But how do you, how do you, uh, I, at the same time, I, I can't shelter from the world, but she's not old enough to understand the stuff that I know or the stuff that we've seen. Yeah. Um, I still have to be a good parent who talks about the sky is blue, honey, and this is why. I don't know. I just make, make stuff yeah, yeah. up. But, you know. What do you feel like your outlook on humanity is? Like, I mean, is it, do you have a negative view of the future or do you? Well, it, uh, I'll, uh, I guess I'd have to parse that out in two parts. Humanity, generally fairly, fairly negative. Just, <laughs> just uh, I, and I do nothing I, with terrorism. I, I, it, it's hard to be. It's I, you have to have the perfect mentality. I'm not it. I, I've said it up front. I'm not. I wasn't meant for this job. I just kind of ended up here in a in a weird evolution. It to not. To not end up in a place where you question humanity a little bit, I think you yeah. have to be delusional, or at least you're able to turn it off at the end of every day and reset in the morning and you're back to zero. I can't go back to zero. It's impossible. Right. So I just have to find a way to go, yeah, humanity's on a collision course with the end of the world, but I still want to take my kid to the park today and still want to go get ice cream. Because that's, okay, so that's exactly where I look at it. I have a new son and all this stuff, and yeah. you just start going like, I mean, is it just as new? get more available as technology is easier for people to find all that stuff. Is it just inevitable that at some point here that there's, you know, a five or six nuke war, you know, before... You know, I don't. I, I wish I, I wish I had a good answer for you. I, I guess in a funny way, I'm not a religious person, but I have some, apparently some hidden vestige of faith somewhere mm -hmm. buried very deep under a lot of scar tissue that says, <laughs> that says we'll figure it out, mm -hmm. but it's going to be an ugly ride. So I don't necessarily say tomorrow's going to be a rosy day. I think my kid's going to have a tougher time of it than we did. Right. Um, I don't know how long that's going to last, but I think the things we're seeing, the, the police role in, in the world right now is in a tough, tough place. Politics are tough. Terrorism is tough. All these things aren't going to be fixed in the next few years. I'm just... I'm just hoping it all holds together long yeah. enough that she can tell her kids it's getting better. Yeah. Can I ask you a, a fucked up question? Yeah, that's cool. yeah, not why we're here. What's the most... <laughs> have you ever stuck a pistol in someone's mouth? No. Nope. Confet... <laughs> okay, that was my question. That was my question. Could you imagine? I was imagine, like those guys... Could you imagine? Who, like, put it in in, like, a sexual way almost. <laughs> Whatever. That's not my question. No, okay. What's the most fucked up thing you've ever seen? Oh man, see, it's oh. a horrible thing to ask a person. Every every you talk about never being able, to, kind of that constant wear that you get from this job. The hardest part for me now is kids stuff. Yeah, because I don't get to see it now, so I'm, I'm removed for it. Cry thank God, is that yeah. over like news articles now? Oh, absolutely. My son has made me weak. Yeah, for real, it's and insane. I told my wife this sounds like a Hallmark card. I said, my child has brought out the best and worst in me at the same time. So I'm trying to I'm trying to navigate that as we speak. I'm I'm actually in a lot of ways glad I'm not um I'm glad I'm not um 
still on the road was the kind of terminology I use, being in patrol, being in right. uniform, because a lot of that stuff is the day-to-day stuff. Those road warriors, those guys that go out and see the deaths and the and the abuse and all that other stuff. I didn't have a kid when I went through a lot of that, so a lot of that's kind of faded for me. But anything I see now, especially when I was doing drug stuff, being in, um, especially with meth and some of the other things, um, seeing children living in those situations, yeah. um, in, especially in meth houses, there's something very unique about meth and people who use meth and families of meth addicts with small children, um, I still probably get nightmares about it. It's not no one shit. event, it's cumulative, but we've, Just you know... Just seeing kids seeing where kids you show up that, where parents are right. unconscious and they're sitting in, in a living room type Absolutely. Thing. I've, I've seen, I've seen um, kids uh, in, you know, in their bedroom, in their diaper, and all the all the adults in the room are, are smoking, actively smoking meth, glass everywhere. If you've ever seen a meth house, it's it, it's hard to wear, wash the filth, just yeah. the feeling of filth after you get out of there, the carpets, the smell. They always say that, like, cops can smell meth addicts on their skin because, because it, like, comes through. You know, it's all synthetic yeah, shit yeah, and it comes through your evil, skin and all that. horrible stuff. And there's something... It's hard to it's hard to define, but there's just something different about being in that environment, and you see a an infant or a, a small child in that, and you go, I I can't I can't even let you stay in here right now. So you're trying to figure out like I'm not part of this family. I'm only here for at most a couple of hours. Yeah. I'm supposed to figure this all out. And so you call social services, you call whoever you can, somebody at the county, and so you have to get down there now. And they're like, well, you know, do they have like a grandma they can stay with for a while until we figure it out? And you're like. No, no. This is the problem. Is obviously none of those support right. structures have worked, and we're we're completely past that. Long story short, the kids stuff always bothers me the most. The other stuff, the deaths, um, you see a lot of death. I mean, I've never seen a dead body until I got into law enforcement that I remember. I've seen one. Yeah. Yeah. No, for real. Okay. Yeah, I saw a guy hit and run in uh, Portland. I was er, on Portland Avenue in the fifties. I was the second guy on the scene. The first guy hit him. <laughs> No, but I, I went to pieces. It was all fucked. I don't know. It was, it's it's profound. And then you also see that when someone dies, they don't like you don't die like you do in a coffin. Like you lay down with your arms, you know, crossed over your chest. Like right. you look like a fucking failed figure skater or whatever. Like you're just was, it, mangled all death over the place. Is, there's nothing it's, glamorous. You look like garbage. Yeah. Right. It is like like it actually made me believe in a soul because there's like there's something when it's gone that you're not I don't know I don't know no I think you're right I think if you see enough of it it's hard to explain it 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 changes you a little bit the first time you're exposed to it because you're like holy crap right it's a dead body yeah um my first dead body i was still i was just about going on field training i wasn't an officer yet but i was riding along with the guy who was going to be one of my trainers and we went to a uh, suicide at a uh, hotel which apparently uh, this is what you do you rent a room you make a mess of it and then sure. nobody has to clean up that you know and um, someone rents it the next day correct. jesus yes they oh, clean them up turns out they can turn those over pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> pretty quickly. Turn it over. That's a good well, way to put it. And, and it's, it's right. why cops all have dark humor, why we're all horrible, awful people after right. a few years. Because if you can't laugh at this guy, right. in his case, we found part of his brain on the ceiling. 
and it was still kind of, he was long dead. He's probably been dead a couple hours, but there's pieces of what's his head is, is falling. Of course, he's on the ground, he's dead, and there's a rifle there and all this other stuff. And how do you process that? You go, oh, by the way, <laughs> there's so like a guy's head is up see, there. Holy fucking yeah. shit. So like you actually see brain matter yep. like dripping down from the yep. ceiling. Yep. So did you do the TV thing of like right. puke you nope. know, the first time? That's what they're looking for. Right. That's, I mean, because that's the funny part is that was we get to see what, what Jay is made of. Cause right. Is, is Jay going to run out of here, turn green, and throw up? And, right. And if you don't do it the first time, you'll probably be fine. Uh, How about I've this? seen much worse be- after that. What's that? You've seen much worse? Much worse. It gets a lot like? worse. Um, people have been dead a long time. I've heard uh, that. Long like time, the sk- really like in, uh, in the bathtub is always a yeah, thing they say, right? Yeah. Is I've that seen, common? Um, bath Toilets. People dying on they the die toilet. In the toilet. <laughs> on the yeah, toilet. On the toilet. On the toilet. Yeah, they have an aneurysm or some kind of medical condition. I've seen that. One hell of a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin from the yes. Gypsies. <laughs> yes. How funny is coming in the night? That's one hell of a shit. It's like you waited all night. <laughs> it's just a predator. I love this guy. But think about that. You go. Mm-hmm. You go your entire life. You have this preconception that you know I'm going to be the lucky one that dies in my sleep. Or I'm going to die in this car crash and I'll never know what hit me or all this other stuff. But people are dying on toilets. People are dying, dying, falling downstairs. People are, right. and they, as you said, nobody dies gracefully. It just yeah. seems to be, especially when the police are there, they, they wouldn't call us right. if they died peacefully in the hospital room or surrounded by family. Um, they call us when right. you know, grandma's found at the bottom of the stairs after two weeks and then so fix it. <laughs> I have the weirdest question, but how do you go fuck your wife after you see, like... I, I mean, it must turn you on in oh, some way. No. <laughs> I walk. Oh, this has been fun. I think I just go home and say, I'll, I'll take, Tonight, I'll take yeah. a Captain, yeah. Captain yeah, Coke exactly. in the shower, and I'll this see you in a couple hours. Oh, it's so brutal. Shower drinking. So, That's how I solve it. So there is a... I do that. Very, very underrated shows. pastime. Yes. Um, uh, there, there is this podcast... Out now called In the Dark that anyone listening to this should listen to, but it's about the Jacob Wetterling thing. Mm-hmm. And they did a reinvestigation of it. And these are just journalists doing it. And they're just like, where it's like these guys, the Stearns County guys, look so bad. You just can't even believe it because, like, they didn't even question all the people on that street. Right. Didn't question. Uh, there's a guy who they arrested for abducting someone else in that town. They knew he abducted a kid, but they didn't ask him about the Wetterling. You know, like, it's just, right. of course, they did do things differently then, and you don't want to put all that shit right. on them necessarily. It was a while ago, yep. But at the same time, it's like, oh, fuck, brutal. Right. But whatever, there is a guy who they, that Heinrich guy or whatever, they, uh, he had cases with pictures of children in him and all that shit, and they arrested him and eventually had to let him go after finding that. Right. And I just think as a cop, is. I mean, sex sex offenders got to be the lowest of the low, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how do you fucking not do the all like? Listen, I was a wild drunk in college. <laughs> Never this wild. Hang on, that was a bad <laughs> intro. But I was I was talking shit to cops on the way out, and they go, "Hey, you know, what? let's take this guy out the back way," and they fucking bounce me off every goddamn right. wall on the way out of there. And I woke up the next day, said I deserve that. That's no, you know, no problem, no harm, no right. foul. 
how do you even fucking hold in your hands someone who you knew did something that monstrous and not just fucking put his lights out right in the car almost? Like, that's got to be the hardest part. I don't know. And I guess I've been lucky. I haven't haven't had a lot of experience in the sex crime side of the world. Normally... Any exposure to that I would have had on the road in uniform, right. kind of taking the initial report maybe. But once you get into like serious facts and you're going down that road and you go, I think I know what this is. Yeah. You could call an investigator that has a lot more experience. They have very specialized it. training experience. We would be well out of our league. Right. I definitely would have been well out of my league to go down that road too far. It'd be more of like... Here's my child. My child said something like this happened, and I'd go, "Yep." Take all the info, and I go right back and say, "You got to, right. you got to come you help me go out get on this." this. Yeah, this, yeah. This is if I screw this up, right? Because that's part of the pressure. If I do a bad job because I just think I can do everything, if I do a bad job of that one interview, maybe I do something horribly that wrong. That ten years from now. Who knows? I mean, right. you don't want to be that guy. So you want to make sure you put the right people in the right. Right. And is there something that being when you were a street cop, you know, out there on the road and everything, is there stuff that I don't know, like what 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 strikes you or surprises you about humanity and just how fucking shitty people like? Is there some level of crime that's out there way more than you think? Like, is there more prostitution or more uh, domestic abuse or what? I don't know. I would just think. It's, it's, I'm circling back. It, it, it's hard not to take a a sideways view on humanity after being out here a couple of years. It's just, it's it's an inevitable part. You just got to find a way to push through it. And then hopefully you don't lose your soul along the way. I think it's possible. You just give up on the world and you can do that. Right. It's that dark. It's that bad. Right. It's that bad. It's just, when I come home and tell you don't have 15 days straight where you go like, Hey, like no crime for 15 days. This is really good. You know, but with, with our sense of humor, we go, Oh, someone's going to be dead. Right. Within a minute. It could, nothing nothing ever lasts. So you're always, if anybody are the most, not only the most skeptical, but the most superstitious in the world is cops because of shit like that. Because I right. said, I haven't seen a dead body in two months. And then someone go, dude, you screwed us all. Right. We're going to have a dead body. We're going to be on a, a stinking dead body for the next four hours. Right. Because you opened your mouth, you tempted the fates, and now you're... You've, told yeah. me, you've doomed us all. Not just yourself, you doomed us. Because you'll probably be at lunch, and I'll be the one who gets that shitty call. Yeah. It's, so, dark. it's a dark world. If you had to be killed, shot. <laughs> <laughs> Night. Um, you know, Auto-erotic I've actually... Th- asphyxiation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny. I, I've actually thought about that. I would rather be shot... I, th- I have this weird, uh, I don't know what it is. It's a, a primal fear of sharp. Being not, stabbed. Being like stabbed being and being cut. No, for real. Yeah. It's sexual. Ugh. It is. That's why whenever I stab people, I get right my yeah, the just, lips right to their ear and go. <laughs> <laughs> Whisper sweet nothing. Yeah, it's just pretend this is my dick. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. <laughs> I got a, uh, <laughs> a actually good childhood. My dad owns a furniture store, but uh, <laughs> all right, drug stuff. Uh, I worked. I worked in narcotics. I looked the role. I didn't do a lot of undercover stuff. I did drive some uh, informants around to some meetings and stuff because I just looked dirty enough to drive an old old pickup truck. But okay, uh, yeah. So I mean, how did that start? What happened there? Um, they said, "Hey, do you want to do something other than patrol?" And I said, "Yes." What is it? And um, they said you could do drugs and I said okay and then they said and I said can I can I get earrings and lots of tattoos I said you can do earrings you can't do tattoos I said, eh, close enough 
Okay. Close enough. So uh, when they put you on drugs, is it with a... Because, I mean, this is very much out of TV. Like, all right, you young rook off the street, we got to put him on drugs. <laughs> and then you dress shitty and all that stuff. Do you... Are they trying to get you after a, a certain person? Like... The, uh, the 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 crips, huh? They 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 control a certain <laughs> drug trade in town. We've learned on this podcast. Would that be Heron? 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 I, and by the way, I did ask him why black people all pronounce it Heron. What did he say? He said, "I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, <laughs> motherfucker." <laughs> but uh, no, what what else? What uh, like is there? Okay, so we know there's a big heroin epidemic now. Mm-hmm. We know there's a big pill epidemic. Meth, we're good on. Yeah, we're ship shape. No yeah. problem there. Everything's good. Don't, don't worry no, about the so, trunk full of meth. So uh, what do you take? I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm asking, but what I want to know is how big the pyramid is. Like, like, did you feel that there are drug kingpins in town? Is there dudes getting rich off this shit? As far as that conspiracy type stuff goes, yeah, I, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get too far up the food chain I, in my brief time there. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's probably a handful of folks making decent money. Um, it doesn't last long. My experience, yeah. what little experience I have is, it feels good for a while, yeah, and then it's not so good when yeah the, the lawyer fees go up real quick when you get started in the system. Um, the people underneath, the mid-level folks and the low-level folks, it's either pure survival or it's feast and famine. I think it's just the folks yeah. at the bottom are just figuring out how to get by. Most, if not all of them, are handling the, handling the habit themselves, so they're part of the business just because they're in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guys above them, you know, feast or famine, again, they could get robbed one day or, or arrested or... Yeah, you know, make a few bucks and then blow it all and start over again. It just—it's not very stable. It doesn't appear to be very stable. I no. think. And, um, and there's constantly people ratting you out. There's constantly people you, ratting you out. It's not a stable lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, what? So uh, when you got into that, I mean, did you go make buys? Did you go like, I mean, true like true undercover? No, stuff, I didn't do. Just... Uh, I did most of the stuff I did because I had the 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 tactical background, the SWAT background. Um, they used me in a lot of other roles. So you know, doing search warrants, going through doors, uh, pulling people out of cars, um, kind of more of the aggressive stuff. There was a few of us that had that background. Right. I I dressed the role, but I, I can't claim it. We had some right. really a really we had one or two really super amazing, truly undercover people on our team. But for the most part, our group did 90% of what we do using using informants and other people. Um, okay. They know the lingo. They live the lifestyle. They know the people. They're know already the in the neighborhood. Yeah. Get me in. I want in. Dial in. No, the, uh, that, that was one thing with when we interviewed um, our Crip is that he talked about that just basically it's all dead now like all gang structure and all that shit he's like it's dead because because the, he's like the motherfucking cops are paying everybody yeah. <laughs> right well I wish we had the money I mean it, we didn't have I, I know our group it, it, your boss would be loath to let you spend so much money depending on what you're working on and how serious it was and kind of right. what the returns were um, what but, is the biggest bus that you ever walked in on 
you know, I've seen uh, one of my partners had a great one. It was a long investigation involved uh, federal stuff, local stuff. You know, like 100 pounds of meth was pretty big. I know there's that's been huge. bigger since then. Right. Um, that's, that's, you know, people are going to jail for a long, in prison for a long, long time yeah. with that. Most of our local drug crimes would be rare to see much, much jail time at all unless they're waiting for trial. Right. Um, so I've been part of that, but usually on the periphery. Most of my stuff was, you know, admittedly kind of, kind of local. I did a lot of, I did, I did some weed stuff, which isn't very interesting to me. I did no. some, I did some. Sorry. No. <laughs> my you know. got in the way I did some weed stuff, but you know, my last year, I, 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 and we literally, well, I must feel great to bust some guys smoking no, weed. It's just awful. Especially right. when you got to be, cause you can bust into somebody's house or out in some farm field and find a couple hundred plants, but it's going to take you the next eight hours to right. dismantle it all, throw it in the truck, inventory, dry it, right. weigh it. And then nobody goes to jail anyway. So right. everyone's like, Minnesota doesn't give a shit about weed. Right. I mean, if you don't have 200 pounds in your trunk, nobody cares. So right. um, not that I have a problem with that. It's just kind of that's the trend right now, especially in Minnesota. Yeah. We haven't legalized it yet, but there's shifting priorities for prosecution, other things, which, right. again, I don't have a problem with. I personally never enjoyed the weed grow stuff and work in the weed cases for that very reason. Yeah. So that amount of time, I could be working on some heroin stuff or hair on. I can be working on some, <laughs> I can work on some meth stuff. I mean, because everything I dealt was either meth or heroin for the most part. Heroin or meth that was destroyed, like right, would yeah. truly fucking destroy yeah. shit. So, yeah. So I ended up working mostly, my last year was mostly kids. I call them kids because they're in their early 20s. Right. Um, heavily addicted and buying a lot of heroin from folks downtown, basically, and then yeah. driving it back out to the suburbs and selling to each other. Yeah. Um, I spent about a nine, ten months doing that, and that's all Plus I did. a lot of, like, good white kids with yeah. good families yeah. really, like, yeah. pissing off their families. There are a lot of, right. a lot of enablers out in the suburbs, a lot yeah, of folks yeah. that they don't get a, get get across our radar enough. This guy just happened to get caught up by uh, by a patrol guy. He right. got stopped coming back from the city with a lot of heroin and okay. decided he didn't like the idea of prison. So here's a deep uh, heroin question. Deep. So, well, whatever. Uh, I don't know, deep. Not deep philosophically, but uh, in Los Angeles, the Mexican mafia, uh, MA as I call them, control the heroin trade there. So it's all black tar because it all comes up through Mexico, mm-hmm. and I think it's how they refine it or something. And then there's China white that only rich people got. What do we have here? Black tar, a lot of it. Okay, really? Yeah. I've Almost heard. No, I know we've seen it. I haven't. Most of the stuff I did was black tar because it's the affordable. It's kind of the right. It's it, everyone has it. It's yep. what well, we're getting here. because we're getting. Like you said, everything, not everything, because every time you say a definitive, it's never of that. Course. But in general, everything that came to this city that I worked always went back to Mexico some way. It may have yeah. gone through another city to get here, but it's all Mexican. Right. So the the uh, the China White, I'd never seen it. I mean, I went to classes. They showed me a picture of it. They said, if you ever find this, this thing's wor- this stuff's worth a ton of money. Yeah. It's heavily refined. It's like the I've done it. it's gold good. star. Gold star. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. But I never uh, saw it. Though. I've never seen it. Okay. So what, uh, like looking at drug war stuff, I mean, what, so someone who has been on that side of it, well, like, what is your take on the drug war? Someone who's been... I, I mean, no one thinks drugs, like, even me as someone who jokes about it and has done it, whatever, you are absolutely fucking your life up if you go down this road. It's not, I would never even glorify it at all. You know, it's right. it's fucked. But that said, my personal belief is that drug war stuff is not working and blah, blah, blah. 
How about you? As someone who's um, been on that side of it, I I think some things work. I probably wouldn't. I, you'd find me. I trend politically kind of libertarian, so that kind of colors yeah. some of the conversation. Yep. I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a legalize it all because that'll make that'll fix things. I'm not there yet. Right. I, I what I what I think is shifting priorities to things that make a difference. That the weed stuff to me, I don't have a problem. If people want to enforce that, it is the law. That's the way it is. If you want to, if you want to play the game on either side. If you want to sell it, you want to grow it, and you know what the consequences are. Take yeah. your lumps, move on. More likely, you're just going to lose all your shit. Right. We'll take a bunch of money, and then you'll 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 start up again because it's low. It's relatively low risk in the world of drugs. You make a lot of money, and the chance of going to prison in this state not necessarily that high. Right. Um, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. That's just the way it is. Right. I think we can shift priorities to something more serious. If we think we have a heroin problem, it's only because we have a pill problem. Yes, pills, for sure. Historically for me, I've had bad luck doing stuff with pills because people don't, they're, they're hard to enforce as far as the, the law enforcement side. They're readily available. Everybody's got them. The market's flooded. Um, and then we get a bunch of kids addicted to pills because their parents had them because their buddies had them in school and then they got past high school and all of a sudden pills got really expensive and yep. they're selling pills for a dollar to a milligram so an 80 milligram you know uh, oxy is eighty dollars mm-hmm. these kids are like I don't I work at McDonald's I don't have eighty dollars for multiple right. but I'll get times sick if I don't day. take it right so now what do I do well I can go buy heroin for twenty dollars mm-hmm. and it's close enough and then the final hurdle was well it's so good now that we don't even have to use a needle because it's the purity yeah. has gone up over the years, and it's kind of the marketing, the calling card. And now fentanyl. Correct. Which and that, is and even, like that's way why. worse, yeah. And the problem is, is we can make fentanyl, or somebody can. I can. Yeah. I have some smart people somewhere can right. in a lab. But... If we if we use fentanyl, we can make an even better product. The problem is people that didn't know or weren't using it before had no idea. We what talked to a guy into. who has yeah. a pill press. Who has oh a fake yeah, pill press and is putting fentanyl. In it's, it's it's scary if if they haven't been monster. doing fentanyl. No, yeah. I mean like he, he's a monster should be killed. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> for real, like he's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. but they, they can. It must. It, you got anytime. And now I'll have to probably edit. That <laughs> yeah, out. you got to edit that. Out. <laughs> but, uh, like for real, like, though, he should be I know killed. where you live because he's. Gonna kill I know somebody, where you live, and that's fucked. Yeah, right. The, the, if if I think the biggest mistake anyone in law enforcement or anyone in in just the regular citizenry or whoever it is, the biggest mistake they have when they think about drugs, the drug war, drug users, sellers, is not thinking of it like a business. It is an absolute business like all others. They have profit motive. They have loss. They categorize risk the same way companies yeah. do. What's acceptable risk? What's the payoff? Profit, um, loss, the whole thing. They understand there's informants out there, but there's still enough profit motive to right. push past it. They understand that occasionally somebody's going to overdose, and there's some now there's some risk of investigation that comes back home to them. But if as long as there's enough upside for them, the business will go on. We yeah. can't. It's a business. And I if you think, think of it as something crazy else. is that they make purposeful busts. Like, like basically, we're going to send this car hoping it gets busted because then we send 13 around right, it right. or whatever. Is that? It's just like, well, yeah, it's the, just. The Mexicans, they, they understand, uh, cartels, whoever it is, they understand that they have millions and millions of, of pounds of things moving north. And if they only lose 5%, 10%. Right. 
that's a, that's an acceptable loss. Yeah. When people start losing hands and heads and other things is when that loss becomes unacceptable. Yeah, and the yeah. point has to be made. We're fortunate most of that violence is restricted to the South. We're right. not exempt forever, I think. Yeah. Okay. I, you I, think I, it will make its well, way it, up I here? I think it's inevitable it's because inevitable. It, it, it increases their risk to be visible north of the border. They have to have a certain – again, this is just my perspective. Yeah. I'm not a global cartel expert. Um for them, it, it's... This guy's it's, a global cartel expert. <laughs> I just became that now. Yeah. Can you write that on a, on a piece of paper for me? It's, it's like anything else. If they, if, they, if, it, it, they do what they do very well in Mexico because they have the fear of violence, they have kind of these public displays, if we forget that they're a business, we don't understand why they do these things. If they thought that hanging headless bodies from a bridge had some positive upside for them, they do <laughs> Right. It does. It or does. else they wouldn't do right. it because what's the point of making a spectacle and right. becoming not a just target? Whatever monsters. It's right. abs- I mean they are. They but are not, they are. Not yeah. in that way. And, right. But if if we forget for a minute that if we just say they're horrible monsters are just like cutting people's heads off, we miss the entire point. The point is that meant something to somebody or they wouldn't have done it. And right. that kind of violence we may see probably in Arizona on the border where there's some reach back there where they can get back and forth. We haven't necessarily seen that. I'm sure there's been some right. this far north. But don't fool yourself. If they thought there was a point to it, they would do it. They can, right. They have that reach. I mean, they can send somebody north. They can put people on plane with, you know, 50 grand in cash and fly them anywhere they want. Why can't they send people or pick somebody out who lives here if it serves their purpose. Is that something that you ever it. saw or knew happen where 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 you knew someone got killed or you go like, well, this is a hit from South, but we can't prove I've it? I've never seen it. No. Okay. And, seen and I think part of that is my limited experience. We're looking at less than three years of, of right. actual dope work and being relatively mid to low level stuff is my yeah. background. Um my guess is there's probably some of it. It's just not out there. Again, if they right. want it public, it'll be public. It's not that we have to live in fear of this. This right. Mexican cartel got blown up as this like evil boogeyman that's everywhere. Their violence serves a purpose, and as long as you remember that their violence serves a purpose, yeah. they wouldn't just go cutting your head off because you're the cop who stopped the guy with you know 100 grand in cash in the trunk. They don't get anything out of right. hurting a cop or hurting a guy who just you know, the little old, old guy that doesn't do anything for them. What does that do? Is it right. brings more heat. But you're a them. global cartel expert. Well, I mean, they might. You want wrote it. You just wrote it on a piece <laughs> of paper for me. You. I'm in. I'm in. No, don't. Now they're coming for me. I should have stopped talking about this stuff. I watch Breaking Bad. I know everything. Absolutely. After Breaking Bad, there's Mexicans on there. I think too. Yeah. I got a, a question, and this is going back to like it's a different topic, but I'm so curious of like when you're doing Street Patrol. With the tension the way it is now with the race relations and with, you know, Black Lives Matter and all that stuff, it seems like – do you think the training is – needs to change for cops? Because in, in my opinion, I, I know being a cop is a, it's a tough job and you have to be on guard all the time. But sometimes it seems like these instances of, of excessive force is because the cop is so – the adrenaline is pumping so hard because they were, you know, in a high-speed chase or they got in pull over. It seems like they're – the adrenaline's getting the best of them rather than they're kind of just, they just want to beat somebody up. Right. Well, or just that, that the whole policy is that if you say, go stand over there and then you don't go stand over there right away, they take that as a threat and then it becomes extreme because that's the training, right? Is that kind of what right. you're saying? Right. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I, 
I, I have a, I, for me, this is tough because it's personal too and professional. Um, I think um, cops in general and a vast majority are good cops that make good decisions under awful circumstances. I've been fortunate. I've had very few that could have gone bad that way. I've had several that could have. Um, picking people to make good decisions under stress is hard. It's getting harder. And unfortunately, I'll, I'll circle back around to your original question. The more problems we're having of the type you're talking about, the harder it is for us to get good decision makers into the job to start with. And that's a downside that very few people talk about right now is the scrutiny that law enforcement in general is under, rightfully or wrongfully. I think generally it's overshot a little, but that's personal opinion because I see the I see how the sausage is made. Sure. I understand how these decisions happen. We're we're missing the opportunity to recruit good people to make good decisions under stress because everyone's looking at this and said, why the hell would I be a cop? Now? Right. I right. talk to cops now who say, why the hell am I a cop now? Right. Um, which makes your recruiting pool harder. I'm not administration, thank God I couldn't do the job, but imagine how hard it is to get a college grad. I'm, I work at an agency that requires a, a four-year degree. Um, how hard is it to get a, a college grad with all the, and we can talk about millennials, a college grad in the door <laughs> who can actually wants to work and make good decisions under stress and take all that training and make good decisions and not end up on the news. It just got a whole lot harder yeah, in the last I, two years. For sure. We're shooting ourselves in the foot because what we're doing is we're killing the messenger. There, if there is a problem that we can solve with training, I guarantee you they're looking for it now because every decision we have now is on video. It's not always right. been that way. So now we're wearing video because everyone else is videoing. At least now we're not going to edit it. That's insane. It's crazy. How There's video, video everywhere. Stuff yeah. and so you go, that still happens on video. It is. And right. I told you, it's, there's, it's, if I could solve it all in one conversation – I couldn't. It, 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 the, the issues are too big to tackle in one conversation. You're having people are making decisions under stress that have been trained to survive. And people say, well, you and give them this warrior mentality. And then the people they're stopping are more on yeah. edge because of it. it just, and, and so it's, yeah, what's happening pressure, is we've got, this, we got this cyclone now where cops are more on edge because they're seeing more hostility on the street. I don't see it personally, but I know a lot of people, and I, I value their judgment. They're seeing more open hostility where before people would just say, Sir, I need you to go stand on the curb. I'm dealing with you right now, but you right. are, you're kind of getting in my face. I need right. you to stand over there. And people 10 years ago, five years ago would do that. And what we're seeing now is instead of that happening is you're it's pulling out your cell phone and it's an automatic interaction. Yes, I'm not answering questions. I don't have Correct. to answer questions. It's like you, I, you need to answer questions. The yeah. officer is the one is there to restore order. Like it's, yeah. so it seems like it's really going in the wrong direction. It, it's, it, and that's the, you know, even if we, if, even if I were willing to say, and I'm not necessarily willing to go there, that all these instances that end up in the news are bad policing. But the result of the media reaction to it and the social media and all these other things, they 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 collide and create a more hostile, more dangerous environment, which I think you're seeing now. I think we can back that up with numbers with cops getting shot and ambushes and things because you're individuals motivated yeah. now that maybe weren't five years ago. You're seeing or going to see in the next 20, 20, 30 years recruiting problems, staffing problems, where now we're asking fewer people to do better work. Um, you're you're going to have all sorts of other issues now where 
five years ago, maybe we didn't have that. Or when I was on the road, I didn't have that level of hostility. And that creates this environment where now everything's a crisis. And every cop shooting is a bad shoot. And every uh, every person shot was a victim. Was and a every victim, cop yeah. is bad. And I reject that out of hand. I can't reject it strong enough because right. I know what it's like. I've pointed guns at people and said to their faces, if you do this thing, I will have to kill you. I've yelled at people and said, I will shoot you in the face because I need them to understand. I've actually done it. (laughs) I've said, I will shoot you in the face right now if you don't take your hands out of your pocket because at that point in my decision-making process, they're driving the bus. It's their decision. It's all fit right. Their decision is to comply and then complain about it later. That's right. their decision. If I offend you or if I make a bad decision, and it happens, we're humans. We're, we're obviously, I've all this hour-long conversation here, all yeah. this stuff we take home with us. We, we make bad decisions. We hope that we don't, there's not lives lost as a result of it, but it could happen. Now, when I tell somebody that I, I'm going to shoot them because they're not complying, I'm not doing it just to sound macho or brave or anything. I'm doing it because I want them to understand that the next decision they make the could cost them their right. lives. And unfortunately, I've been there on a couple of occasions where I've been real close, and it wasn't my, convince right. people who aren't cops that it's not the cop's decision to shoot, it's the other person's decision or a, a series of decisions that have put them sure. on a path that end right. up with a gun, that end up with somebody being shot. It, it, it takes on a life of its own, and we end up in this bad place, but not necessarily with bad decisions on the cop's part. And do you I, think that that's at all, though, because of – so, like, if you study how they do policing in England or whatever, that, yep. uh, that they study very much about – uh, diffusing mm-hmm. the situation, and that, like, that would be my take on it. Is that I don't see a lot of that angle with with our police, and I didn't right. even really want to get into this. But it's just, it always seems like that is our training with our police here is that it's a zero sum game, right. and that it's absolute, and it's like you have disobeyed me, and now we've brought this to a lethal point right now. Right. Like, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that. I think. Um, Again, part of, part of the answer is not a short term. Part of the answer is picking good people, right. picking the right people with the right kind of personality that understand that it's not necessarily about giving orders. And it is. I've, I've done it myself. Yeah. You can get to that point really quick where it becomes less of a conversation, more of a monologue. Yeah. Um, but good training, I have no problem. If somebody said tomorrow, you need to do, we need more of this training, we need more. I know our agency and most now are really getting behind the mental health stuff where we're not. We can't specialize in mental health, but at least giving us more tools on how to talk to people. Right. So maybe, maybe... It's a fucking impossible job. Well, I, I mean, it, it is. And it, and it is. But if you think job. about it, you, a lot of these the deadly force situations involve, may involve somebody with a mental health issue at that moment. Right. And we're not trained professionals in that. Right. But how do we talk to somebody who doesn't even see reality the same way you do and is right. holding a knife? Hey, I call us to show with chill. Right. I mean... <laughs> He's on antidepressants. <laughs> you haven't stabbed him yet. That's great. I, the bottom line is, it, it, if I think more tools are better. I'm fine with that. I thought, like, ta- you talk about equipment tools. I, I thought the taser was a, came along at the right time where it allowed us to back off and not put hands on everybody. Yeah. Because that always ended up, anybody who's been in a fight knows that everyone gets hurt. It's just a matter of who gets hurt worse yeah. at the end of the day. Um, I thought that was good. I think more training on mental health. I think more training on de-escalation. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I think 
as long as we come to it honestly and say, we think this can help, we'd like you to try some of this, but you still have a job to do. And yes, yeah. at the bottom, at the end of the day, some people just get shot because of what they have done, decisions they have made. And now you've got a cop who has to deal Live not with only that. with the aftermath, but now the scrutiny that isn't necessarily warranted. I mean, some is, but... This is a good man right here. Charlie. I don't know. So, so dark. Now, so dark. now, no, now you ask me about humanity me again. The dark, ask dark me about humanity again. <laughs> See what I tell you. Have you ever had to sh- uh, shoot a guy as a uh, beat cop? No. Talk about that. Okay. No. Okay. Come close a few times. That was that was scary to ask. I okay. Took a family pet once. Really? You had to yeah. take a dog down? I bet I that was hard. I bet that was really hard. Uh, harder than I expected. Yeah. I'm a dog guy. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, the, I won't tell you the whole story, but thank you. We, it, it was it involved drugs and an actual uh, pretty nice family. It was a Pomeranian. Uh, it was tiny. It was just just angry, angry little dog who wouldn't let go of my pants. Right. They had to shoot it forty-seven times. <laughs> Reloaded this, six times. But you know, it's it's one of these things. At the end of the day, um, dogs do what dogs do. Dogs are. Right. Loyal, they're doing their job, and if they, if they happen to come at the stranger who just kicked down your front door, I don't blame them for that. They don't have free will you like people shoot do. Them. <laughs> it's I dark. I'm talking about dark. Face, dog. <laughs> it's, I, I, I didn't. I, I tell you what, it was. Uh, I, I called my wife right away, and I've called my wife on other close calls of things that you and I have just kind of skirted over. I've called her on close calls and said, "I almost did this today," and she's like, "I go, I know. I'll have a. Dr- I'll have that shower drink we talked yeah, about." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Home. I had a hard time with the dog, not like. You know, depression or anything, but I'm like, you know what? I I'm mad at them and not them. For the family was nice, but they had a family member who, who put the entire family at risk. <laughs> and then, of course, after this big, beautiful dog is on the family portrait over the fireplace. I don't make it oh. actually on the fireplace. Um, I don't blame the dog. I blame the guy who put us in that situation. Yeah. That that's on him. Unfortunately, it's on me. I I feel bad about it. The dog. Like my dog, I, my dog's worthless, but yeah. um, would just bark and then run. My away. dog would turn and kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared. They're too big. I'm scared. Yep. So I, I've, I've been fortunate. I haven't had to. I, in the, my role on the tactical side, we've come close a couple of times, especially on the sniper side that we talked about earlier. Um, but you're just ready for it. I mean, it's it's not a macho thing. It's just like we. this is what we train for, and if somebody – Again, going back to that, yeah. if that person makes the decision that requires this response, uh, most people are ready for it, and that's on them. That's on them. I can answer for that later. Sorry, it's so good? dark. It ends up so dark. No, hell no. This oh, is great. Is this is what we want. It's yeah. fascinating. This is, we might ask you back sometime. I'd love to come back. This is, but this is super fun. This is a hoot. Next time I'll get an Uber and have a couple more drinks. Hey, why don't you find someone who's killed someone for Christ's <laughs> sake? <laughs> Someone with some blood on their hands. <laughs> show. No, this has been awesome. What a fucking great. This is super fun. Right? Oh, absolutely. All right. <laughs> All right. That was our episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, please um, share and rate and uh, subscribe to our podcast. Please do all those three things. I'm so tired of selling furniture. I need to make money off this, so please do those things. Anything you can do, follow us on Twitter, um, at Gabe Noah Podcast. And if you have any questions, share them on our social media. Or if you have someone who you think should be a guest, hit us up at info at professionconfession.com. So thanks for listening, and uh, please share in all those things. Bye.